Hello and welcome to the Locked On Leafs podcast. I'm your host, Mike DiStefano from TSN 1050 Toronto Radio, being joined by a fellow co-worker of mine and Leafs game night producer and late game night co-host, Ken Stapon. What's going on, buddy? Buddy, I am so depressed today. <laughs> After that blown lead last night, I mean, it just seems like this happens to this team time and time again. It's just in their genetic code at this point. I don't know what to feel or how I should feel ahead of this game tonight. Which team is going to hit the ice? I mean, it's just devastating. And it seems like we're in this position all the time as Maple Leaf fans. Doesn't matter what year. Doesn't matter what team. It's just our destiny at this point. I can feel you getting angrier and angrier as you were speaking. Like, by the end of there, it seemed like you're ready to, like, rip something in half. Yeah, you know, you start recording, <laughs> and, you know, you're feeling like, okay, this could go okay. You know, it's only game three. You still have two games left to try to make your mark on the series. Make it out with a dignified effort tonight and a dignified effort in game five to advance. So not all is lost yet, but, no. man, as soon as I started talking about it, I realized how upset I was about the fact that we're in this position yet again as Toronto Maple Leaf fans. Oh, it's just, can't we just... Put a game away. Put a team away for once in my fandom. This is like so far the Leafs still have yet to win themselves a playoff series. And they're the only team in the NHL to do it uh, since the lockout from 2005. They have not been able to win a playoff series. Even Vegas, who's only a couple years old, has won themselves a few playoff series. Oh, straight to the cup final uh, in their first year. Exactly. So, you know, last night was a tough, tough loss. Leafs pissing away a 3-0 lead uh, to Columbus, and they're now on the ropes heading into game four tonight. We'll preview that game in just a few minutes, but let's chat a little bit more about that game that we saw yesterday. And I wanted to kind of wait, and, and I didn't want to do an immediate podcast last night after the game because much like you um i was very hot-headed after it you seem to still be very hot-headed but i calmed yeah, yeah, down a little, bit. a little bit here but... I, I relaxed a little bit since and 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 i'm not you know ready to spew as much fire you know fire dubis fire everybody trade away marner hate as i may have been uh sending out yesterday so uh but regardless i still think that last night was was just a brutal outcome and something that should not have happened so what we do uh here on the podcast for those who haven't listened before uh, after every loss we go through the good the bad and the ugly so let's start on a positive note and let's talk about what was good about that game for me it was the first half right i thought this game was a tale of two halves the first period and a half really the first like 30 minutes of the hockey game it was all Leafs I felt that they played with heart they were physical they were scoring they were flashy Um, they looked like the Maple Leafs that we come to to grow and love throughout the whole season you know CeCe even scored and it was just like holy crap CeCe scoring in the playoffs uh, to open the scoring Nylander got his first of the series and then Nick Robertson scoring his first NHL goal Um, and then after that it kind of changed the goaltender got swapped out Merzlikens came in and something happened to Columbus and they just kind of shut it down and chipped away and chipped away and chipped away and ended up coming back tying the game and then winning it in overtime uh four to three but the first half I thought they did play well I know Sheldon Keith came out and said that he didn't like you know how they're playing after one nothing after two nothing after three I, I think that's a little bogus and he's just you know he was just as hot-headed I'm sure or even more hot-headed being a part of the team um, than than you and I are and I probably would have been saying something like that at the time but at the end of the day I do like how that team played um, in the first half of that game well I think there's a couple things to touch on here Mike I agree with you I think during the first half of the game, 
the Toronto Maple Leafs were able to instill the way they wanted to play yeah. on the Blue Jackets, which was what they were able to do in Game 2, where they pretty much just ran the Jackets out of the building. And I mean, the score was a lot closer than I thought the game was. It was just Corpus oh, Allo sure. who really kept Columbus in that game. In this game in particular, in the first half, I thought their top players were the best players on the ice. They were passing well. They were skating well, getting really good scoring opportunities. They were cycling the puck down low in the Columbus zone, having some good success on the forecheck, wearing down those defensemen a little bit. Nick Robertson getting on the board. Congratulations to him getting his first goal. That's a big monkey off his back. Now moving forward, he can just loosen up and play a little bit. The second half of the game, and as you pointed out, when the goalie got yanked, that's where things changed to me. And Torts has been known to do this, find a way to motivate his team when things aren't going well. Because up to that point, yeah, you could say the third goal from Robertson was a little bit soft from Corpusalo, but I thought up to that point, he was playing pretty well. Oh, I got, I've got no issues with any of his play to that point. 100%, and just to go off of that really quickly... I was I was a little surprised when he moved on from Corpusalo and went to Merzlikens because if you think about the first goal that CC scored, okay, it went off of Seth Jones and in. Yeah, There's nothing not you could do about that tip. And then the first one, you know, you, a guy like William Nylander who has that kind of skill out in front, you know, that's going to be tough to stop as well, um, when, especially when he's all alone. So, you know, you can't really fault him on that one. Seth Jones just lost his man, and Nylander isn't going to miss on those opportunities. And then the third one, yes, that one was a bit of a weak one that went right through him. But still, I thought that, you know, three goals in, if it would have been in the first, like, five, ten minutes of the game, okay, that makes sense. But you're about halfway through the game and you only allowed three goals. I thought it was a little early to yank the goaltender, especially considering it wasn't it wasn't like he was having a bad game. Um, that one goal was a bit leaky, and maybe that was the reason, just because it was a bad goal. And he was like, you know what, maybe the floodgates are open here. Toronto has way too much momentum. Um, and, and this is the veteran coaching that Tortorella can do that I believe, you know, going into the series, we always knew that Torts is, you know, the coaching on Columbus is better than the coaching on the Leafs just because he has that experience factor. And that was the experience factor. He noticed that after that weak goal, he needed to do something to change the way that this game was playing or else, you know, the floodgates open and who knows how many goals Toronto could have scored. Smartly, he switched up the goaltenders, stopped the bleeding, and they ended up chipping away and winning that game. Well, it's one of the benefits that you have when you have two netminders yeah. <laughs> who you can put in at any given That's point in time. And Chris sure. Lincoln's carried the weight for Columbus for in large part for the second half of this season. This, to me, had nothing to do with the play of Corpus Allo, but the play of the Columbus Blue Jackets in front of him. Yeah. And he needed to jumpstart that team, get them more engaged, you know, because they were starting to look down, starting to, you know, skate a little bit more slowly. Toronto was controlling the play. And this is one of really the two buttons that you can press as a coach in game that's going to get that reaction out of your players. You can either pull your goalie and swish him out for the backup, or you can call a timeout. Obviously, you're not going to call the timeout that early in the game because you lose the challenge, da 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 You want to keep that as long as you can. And when you have confidence in the guy like Elvis Merz Lincolns to be able to come in and shut the door the way that he was able to in the second half of that game, it's an easy move for Tortorella to pull that one out. Columbus responded beautifully after that, and I thought Merz Lincolns had a couple saves down the stretch there that really kept Columbus in the game because it could have easily been, you know, 4-1 or 5-1, yeah. you know, after even after they put him in. But he was able to shut the door, keep the Leafs off the scoreboard for the rest of the way, which is exactly what Columbus needed to do. And they were able to chip away slowly but surely at that 3 nothing lead, ultimately scoring the late goal and then coming back to win it in OT. Yeah, um, certainly uh, uh, 
he's a heck of a young goaltender, and Columbus has a very bright future in net. Uh, let's move on and talk about the bad. What was bad about last night? And there's probably a few things you could pick, but what sticks out? For me, it's the inability of this team to put a team away that they have on the ropes. Now, we've Good seen one. this before in the regular season, and this is what the elite teams are able to do. When you are up 3 nothing, particularly in a series like this, when you have the ability to go go up 2-1 to one and put the other team on the ropes of elimination, you have to be able to finish them off. Toronto was not able to do that last night, and as we just alluded to, let Columbus get back into the game, which is a dangerous thing when you have a veteran team like Columbus and you have these guys like Jenner and Foligno and the law has been made to do of the top pairing of Wierenski and Jones. If you let these guys hang around and sort of grab that little bit of hope, it's a really dangerous thing, and they were able to make Toronto pay for not taking advantage and extending that lead when they had the opportunity. Granted, hats off to Torts, as we said. Good coaching job and great job by the backup goaltender to come in and shut the door. But that's, for me, is inexcusable to not be able to close out the game and is, quite frankly, becoming a pattern that yeah. we've seen time and time again from this young Maple Leafs roster. Yeah, and you thought, you know, maybe you make a, a, a switch up with the coach and maybe a different mentality comes through, but it seems like it's the same story that we saw last year in Boston and the year before. So, at, at what you know, at some point, and this is probably a conversation for a different day, but at some point, and we were talking about this off-air beforehand, you know, who who's the Kawhi Leonard that the Leafs are going to need to go out and get? And, like I said, I think that's a conversation for a different day. Yeah, that's day, a but, whole but other topic when just, you start talking about roster it reconstruction. It totally is, but it does make you wonder that, you know, it, this is just the third year in a row that the Leafs seem to kind of crumble here in the playoffs and it seems to be, you know, everybody was talking about how maybe this was a Mike Babcock problem and how, you know, Babcock uh, isn't deploying the troops properly like the way the team is built. But it seems like they're having the same issues under Keefe right now, or at least they did last night, than they did have with Babcock. Well, let's not forget that this is still an extremely young roster. The For Toronto sure. Maple Leafs are rolling out there, I believe, of all the teams in the plan. It was the second youngest of anybody. I can't recall. Yeah. I don't recall who's first. But they still have a lot of growing to do. I think and Columbus they really... actually may have been the youngest team because they got like Foodie, Robinson, Tessier, they, still only 20, 20 it, years it, old. It could be the case. I'm going to look terrible if Columbus is the younger <laughs> yeah, like, team saying sure, that's actually. really the experience that needs to come through. No, but they have those savvy veterans where they need them. The Like I said, the captain, Nick Foligno, veteran, you know, Wenberg down the middle. He's Seth played Jones. a fair amount of hockey. When you look at the defensemen, particularly the top pairing, they're an experienced tandem who can – create offense a but also cause problems for the other team's top line both physically and just frustrating them defensively toronto doesn't really have those guys they've got a couple veteran forwards you know you figure Tavares might have been the guy that was going to come in and steady the ship give that veteran presence i don't think he's played badly by any stretch but he hasn't been able to find the score sheet as often as he would have liked on the back ends they're extremely young really you have morgan riley and jake muzzin who is obviously out for the rest of the series that you're really leaning on as the veteran guys on that blue line aside from that Tyson Berry, obviously been in the league for a little while, but not the defensive guy that's going to shut it down in the clutch when you need to. And then you're relying on CC Dermott, and Hall on the back ends. I mean, it's a little bit of a patchwork decor, and it's been criticized probably rightfully for a long time. <laughs> and now, not surprisingly, it's becoming the Achilles heel of the Toronto Maple Leafs in this playoff series. And it's going to get criticized even more because as we move to the ugly, I thought that you know the defensive pairing of... Uh, Justin Hall 
And Travis Dermott yeah. was ugly last night. They did not play well at all. And I think Justin Hall, he's not a shutdown defender in the NHL. And I think that it really, really, he got exposed last night. And, and it just kind of went and proved. And it's more clear now more than ever how important Jake Muzzin is to this team. Because Jake Muzzin's the one who really drives that line. And, and you know, Justin Hall just kind of piggybacks it. But now, without Muzzin, and now you got Hall and, and Dermott trying to shut down team's best players, such as Pierre-Luc Dubois, it's not going very well, as you saw last night. You know, so a couple of mistakes by Justin Hall, a big, big mistake by Travis Dermott on that weak pinch on that third goal that really exposed him and allowed Dubois to come in and uh, and score the game-tying goal. And, and everyone's going to talk about that pinch as being you know, the, the probably the ugliest play of the game that, that ultimately probably cost them the game. Um, not that that was the lone mistake, but, you know, I, I just, that that pairing really, really got exposed, and, and it just goes to show how weak that defense really, really is when you look at it and you're expecting Justin Hall and Travis Dermott in the wake of this injury to, to Jake Muzzin to be a shutdown pairing. It's just not... That's not going to cut it in the NHL playoffs. When you look at Muzzin in particular, when he was playing on the LA Kings and when they went on that cup run, he was slotted in as a third or fourth defenseman. Yeah. That's not the case for Muzzin on the Toronto Maple Leafs. On the Toronto Maple Leafs, he's number two and he's your best. You could argue, he's, you could argue that he's the most important defenseman oh, on I, that roster. Yeah, yeah. I'm not suggesting. Like, right. uh, obviously, Morgan Riley is your number one. I'm not suggesting that Muzzin is any less important than Riley. Right. I'm just saying when you're looking at the core, that's probably how most people are going to slot it. Riley one, Muzzin two. Now, he's your best defensive defenseman, one of the only guys on the back end who packs a physical punch. And they, it was a huge loss for the Maple Leafs to have this guy out of the lineup. And for the reasons that you said... They're just so inexperienced on the back end. I mean, Hall last night, I mean, I thought at times this year he's looked really good, in particular when he's playing with Muzzin. But last night, dash three. Now, that's pretty chilly for one game for a stat. And I know the plus minus can be a little bit skewed. But at the end of the day, you need these younger players to be able to step up and assume a bigger part of the minutes and a bigger part of the roles when key guys get injured because it's always going to happen in the postseason. The fact of the matter is, is that Muzzin to this Toronto Maple Leafs team, I would argue, as you had just alluded to, is one of the top three most important players on the ice, probably outside of the goaltender and outside of Austin Matthews. I would almost take him over one of the big three in the lineup. Like if you had to lose Matthews, Tavares, or Marner, one of those three guys, or Muzzin, I would think that the Toronto Maple Leafs, with the depth they have at forward, would prefer to have Muzzin in the lineup on the back end because they're a little bit more thin. Yeah, I think that's certainly probably a trade-off that even at this point, and after watching what happened last night, a trade-off that the Leafs would gladly, well, not gladly, but not gladly, reluctantly but yeah, probably take if you If, if, if you put a, a gun to my head and you say, who do you want in the lineup? Do you want you know John Tavares or do you want Jake Muzzin? I might be in the minority here, but I'm taking Jake Muzzin just because of how important he is on that back end. And I'm with you, man. Looking at the inability for them to shut down and, and close out a game that they have 3 nothing lead in. I mean, you need to be able to defend, and he's their best defender. For sure. Um, in conversation with Ken Stapon, I'm Mike DiStefano. This is the Locked On Lease podcast. Uh, let's just go over a couple other big things that happened in that game. Um, Pierre-Luc Dubois, and somehow we haven't brought him up yet, but 
You know, he right now is enemy number one in Public Toronto. enemy number one. Game two, right at the end, uh, <laughs> gives a nice little shove to Jake Muzzin. Your boy. And gets him out of the series, which, as we just talked about, is uh, is, is is just decimating for the Maple Leafs. And then he goes out and gets a hat trick to put the Leafs on the ropes. Yeah, he put them on ice. Like I don't like, know, I don't know how else to say it. And after this, in, during game two, Torts got after this guy on the bench and was giving him an earful, and he's really come back and responded. And this just comes back to what we were talking about before. Torts is a guy who understands how to motivate his players, what buttons to push on his team at particular points in time. And he pushed the right ones on Dubois because oh, this sure. guy is Game one of his the life. yeah he's one of the few offensively gifted players too in the top six on that Columbus Blue Jacket team. I mean, you look at Dubois, you look at Atkinson. Outside of that, there's not a whole lot of depth there. I mean, those are your two best goal scorers by my estimation, and they need them to produce if they're going to have success. Particularly after losing Panarin and losing Duchesne and losing Dzingel and all these guys they had on the roster from just a year ago. He showed up in a big way last night, I thought, both on the offensive side of the puck and the defensive side of the puck to get a big win for the Jackets. Yeah, he was he was monumental for, for that team and that turnaround. Um, another big thing that happened last night that... I, I So, I think we got to just have a conversation about kind of your concern level going forward as we move into game four tonight the level of concern um, yeah the level of concern i said i fired out commonly known. i fired out a tweet <laughs> uh yesterday on my twitter account at making a score canuck you know what's the level of concern leafs nation and we got a lot of nick cage gifts through there and and, and to be quite honest with you yeah I, I it is a, a huge concern right now going into game four tonight and i think the fact that now the momentum is with Columbus after storming back and and coming back down from a, a three nothing deficit coming back to win it in overtime. You couple that with this banged up defensive core without Jake Muzzin going into game four, my level of concern is extremely high. Like I'm concerned for tonight. Where do you stand? Okay, anytime you're going into an elimination game there has to be some sort of concern level that's going to be associated with that, and usually a pretty high one. I'm actually in a little bit of a different camp than you are, as the couple things that I'm concerned about are, A, Anderson going probably again tonight. I don't know if Keith's announced that yet. Yeah, But no. you assume that he's probably going to be going in the net because you live and die with your number one guy. The decor is a little bit battered and bruised. Why I'm not concerned is because for some weird reason, this group always responds after they get kicked in the teeth a little bit or they take that shot to the nuts and then they are able to turn it around for the next game and come back with a big effort. It's but, really the fact that they haven't been able to do that consistently without... That's the thing, right? Well, they haven't been able to do it consistently, consistently without the motivation or without sort of getting kicked in the teeth first. I feel like last night was enough, big enough shot for them that they're going to come out motivated. I feel like we're going to see a group that's going to be able to instill the way they want to play more like game two rather than game one or the second half of game three. It's, I just feel that the group in itself will have the gumption tonight to at least push it to game five. I mean, we'll see if I'm correct or not, but this is just the pattern that we've seen from this group is that they get motivation from moments like this. They and play I feel better like, pissed off, yeah, essentially, is, that's, is yeah. exactly what, what that's we're talking what about here, say. right? They, they play better when they're pissed off. And, and it's that's, so annoying. 
it's super annoying. And the problem is when you're playing in a series, well, you just played pissed off, right, for one game. So you've got them in game one. They played pissed off in game two. They won. Then they came back, and then they got all high and mighty after taking a 3-0 lead, took the the, uh, foot off the pedal, and then all of a sudden, boom, you lose 4-3. So what do they do? They're going to come back out tonight all pissed off again. Yeah. Probably that, that, that's you know, hopefully I, that's get the thinking. win. Hopefully get the win. And then what do they do in game five? How do you feel about them going into game five knowing that this team has you know tendencies to kind of collapse when they're not under pressure? Listen, this is a Jekyll well, and Hyde situation. Under pressure as well, but you know what I mean. It's a Jekyll and Hyde situation with it's this exactly team. What it is. It's like you never know what you're gonna get. So I can lean towards the fact that their past experience would show that they're going to come out with a much better effort tonight, probably a more complete 60-minute effort tonight than they had in Game 3. But then when you're talking about Game 5, I mean, all is you know everything's off the table when it comes to both teams being an elimination game. In this case, it's Game 5. Normally, we're accustomed to this happening in Game 7. You never know what you're going to get out of that bag, so I'd be hesitant to predict that because anything can happen. What I would say is... It's pretty simple, and it's always been the recipe for success in the playoffs. The team that gets the better goaltending in both games tonight and in Game 5 on Sunday, if it's necessary, is going to have the definitive advantage. Yeah, which we hope is which we hope is Sunday, is going to have the definitive advantage. And I think that Columbus, this is one thing that they have a leg up right now because they're switching to a guy who's played half a period of hockey. Fresh. Fresh. Corpusalo took the first two games. Anderson, for him, this will be his fourth game in sixth nights. So you got to feel like he's going to be getting a little physically fatigued. In the past, we've seen when he gets physically fatigued, that's when his play starts to drop off, and particularly in the postseason when they have to ride this guy down the stretch, that's when he starts having difficulties. It'll be interesting to see how long of a leash Freddie has tonight, if he's able to keep the high level of play. That he's been at through this whole series. I thought he's been excellent. More yeah. of the least best players in games one, two, For and sure. three. 100%. It'll be interesting to see if he's able to maintain that high level of play in a situation where he's going to be very fatigued. The one thing that I think the Leafs can do when you think about how fatigued that they may be, um, and especially with a, with a struggling back end, one thing that, that Keith kind of has in his back pocket that he can play, which he kind of dabbled with last night, is playing with seven defensemen. I think that he does that tonight. He didn't do it yesterday, just went with the six. Sandine came out to take warm-up and then didn't suit up for the game. But I think tonight is a night where, you know, it's coming off of a back-to-back. You're going to want to have some fresh legs. You're not going to want to run guys again up into the high minutes um, if, if you can help it. So maybe having an extra fresh defenseman out there just to, who can skate well as well and is a pretty good player in Sandine. Um, I, I think could be beneficial for today. Where do you stand on that? Well, when you look at the minutes last night, obviously the overtime period screws screws with the numbers a little bit here. But you look at Hall, he's up over 26. You look at Dermott, he's almost at 25. Riley's over 30. I mean, that's a lot of minutes yeah. for your defenseman to and be logging. back to back? Yeah. It's, they're going to be a little bit tired today for sure. And I would think that Sheldon Keefe, this is not off the table for him. Uh, he's been hesitant at times to really get that fourth line involved in the game. I thought that he was better in game two and three of getting them a little bit more regular shifts than the first game where I think that all three of the guys were around three minutes. Yeah, three and a half minutes. Yeah, so not a lot of shifts for them in that case. I wouldn't be surprised 
to see him pull the trigger and put a seventh defenseman in, and then you can just slot in Tavares or Matthews, you know, throw them on the fourth line, throw the other two guys out as wingers to get them a little more ice time, as he does like to do. He seems to go down with his yeah. big guys swinging. But at this point, I mean, it's one of the few things that the coach can do, right? And he has control over just to try to stretch his bench a little bit. I would not be surprised to see him do it. I wouldn't be surprised if he kept the fourth line as it is because I did think that they were an effective option last night for checking. I thought Engvall had a good game. I thought Clifford had a good game. I thought Spezza was opportunistic at times. We'll see how it pans out. For a line that plays like less than 10 minutes of the game, and that's even like yesterday, they all played like pretty much less than 10 minutes of the game. Who played Spezza had nine minutes of ice time. Yeah, Clifford was just over 10 and a half. And then 12 for uh, for Engvall, and he played some, some time shorthanded as well. So they're all sitting around 10 minutes in a game that went to overtime as well. I feel like... You could just pull out one of those wingers yeah. and then slot in Sandin, and you figure he's going to probably get more than 10 minutes, depending well, on how the and how then, it's going so and far. And then keep the rest of the D more fresh after playing 25 minutes you know, 30 plus minutes for some of these guys yesterday. Like, I just think that that would be uh, beneficial for a back-to-back. And maybe that was the reasoning why he didn't do it yesterday because he thought, you know what, let's not do it today. And then we could do it tomorrow when our guys are going to be more tired, have those fresh legs ready to go and not kind of waste that card on game three. I wonder if the reason Keith is so hesitant is because the defensive position traditionally in the NHL is the one that takes the longest to develop as far as skaters are concerned. Wingers and centers develop much more quickly and can have an impact on the game. We've seen how Nick Robertson has been able to come up and have an immediate impact Mm -hmm. on the Leafs, I don't know, bottom nine, whatever you want to call it, the third line. He's been able to instill some speed, some good offensive sense. That's defensive awareness. Too, yeah. To be honest, like, I, he, he's, he hasn't he's even grown into his body. Guy. Yeah. He hasn't even grown in there, filled out into his body yet. And we've seen guys his size before become really effective players. Uh, Marty St. Louis and Theo Fleury come to mind mm-hmm. as a pair of players with sort of similar frames who have had really successful NHL careers. Um, as for Sandine, I just feel that inexperience might be the reason that Keith is hesitant to put him in the lineup. You know, in the past, uh, many defensemen have been ruined or their experience and their growth and their ability to understand the game has been ruined by being put into situations too quickly. I'm sure where they didn't Shen have the confidence. Yeah, exactly. For Leaf fans. Yeah. And when you get put these young players in positions that they're not ready for at particular points in time, it's a good way to hurt them mentally and hurt that mental aspect of their game where they aren't as confident then moving forward. Now, I know that Sandine has had a tremendous year, was having a tremendous year with the Marlies in the AHL, you know, anchoring the top pair down there. He's shown flashes in Leafs camp and at the beginning of the year where he's able to crack the lineup a couple times there. And by all accounts, everybody's super high on the kid. I just want to see them take the time with the prospects to make sure that he's going to develop into the bona fide top four NHL defenseman that the Leafs expect him and project him to be moving forward rather than rushing him and putting him in right now when you're not sure that he's going to be able to contribute in the NHL lineup and thus stunting the growth or putting a bad some bad ideas in his head or bad experiences in his head where he ends up going dash three in a playoff game and then is a scapegoat moving into the offseason possibly i mean i guess that that could happen definitely it could happen to anyone I, I just in my in my opinion i think that 
Rasmus Sandin is going to be a piece of this team moving forward. He has as early as, as starting, you know, opening night next season, I think yeah. he could start and be in the starting top six for I wouldn't be for surprised to see him there next year. Right? So So why not just so throw him in now? So why not just put him in now? Give him that playoff experience. If they if, if he plays well and they win, that's great. If they lose, okay. So he played one extra game in the playoffs when you plan on playing him in literally the next game that this team is going to play, although it's not going to be until December. But if you think this is a guy who you think is going to be part of your core going forward defensively. Just get him dressed and get him in the experience. Yeah. And at the same time, it spells a few minutes for some of these guys who played a lot yesterday. Yeah, I, I think can, there's a few, I can see a it few going benefits. both ways. I can see it going both ways for sure. I would not be surprised by any sense to see Sandy in the lineup tonight. And if he is in the lineup, hopefully he can have an impact on the game. And like mm-hmm. you said, take a little bit of relief off some of those other defensemen. It's just not traditional really to see a coach dress seven defensemen and only 11 forwards. But right. hell. This is not traditional times. These no. are unprecedented times. <laughs> the five-game play exactly. series against Columbus. Exactly. What the hell? Throw caution to the winds. Get him in there and get him some reps. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I would love to see him in the Leafs lineup tonight and see what the kids got. I mean, what do you have to lose at this point? It's time to pull out all the stops. And if you think that Sandin gives you a better opportunity to win than having, I don't know who we'd pull out, either Jason Spezza or I probably think Spencer would probably be the guy. Engvall. He gets he's important to the penalty kill there, and he's one of Keith's boys. Whoever he put decides he's going to pull out, it's going to be one of those fourth line guys. I mean, if that's what Keith wants to do, ride or die with the coach, right? This is the team was built for him. He's the guy who's supposed to push through to the promised land, hand picked by Kyle Dubis. Let's see what he's got. I like it. I like it, Kenny. I like it a lot. Give me a prediction for tonight. What happens? I'm riding with the Toronto Maple Leafs to get the win. I think that'll be a complete effort, more similar to game two. I'm not going to say it's a blowout because I think that the Columbus goaltending will be excellent and behind Merce Lincolns. But I would not be surprised to see, you know, a 3-1 game. Maybe the Leafs add an empty netter at the end there, stretch it to 4-1. But I think they're able to close it out. And Anderson is able to come back with another complete game as he has for the first three in this series. I say Toronto pushes it to five games with a 3-1 win over Columbus. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I'm going to take the Leafs getting the win. Like you said, they played best when they're pissed off. And they're pissed off after giving up that they lead yesterday. They better be pissed off. They got to be. I mean, I'm pissed off. A, a, loss, a loss tonight. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of the listeners on the podcast are pissed uh, off. They better be pissed off. 100%. 100%. And if they lose tonight, that's it. That's it for them. So they literally need to do yeah, everything, it's all or nothing. everything they can to get the win tonight or else their season is over. Yeah, you're going to hit the golf course. Exactly. And, and that's like, not nobody what Nobody wants to do that, especially to add insult to injury when you know that the Eastern champs are going to be raising that trophy before they go to Edmonton to play for the Stanley Cup Finals. In yeah, in your barn. You don't want another <laughs> team advancing to the Stanley Cup Finals in your barn. Are you kidding me? No. What a disaster. No. Nobody thought about this when they decided to make Toronto a hub city. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead, and I'm also going with you. It's going to be a tight game. I'm going to go with 3-2 as my final. At least we're going to push it to game five. Um, all right, Ken, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. That was a lot of fun, good conversation. Hope everyone liked it. That's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. I'd like to thank you for listening and supporting the show. You can subscribe to the Lockdown Leafs podcast on all podcasts and platforms and receive daily Leafs content. You can follow the show on Twitter at Lockdown Leafs. Follow myself at Mickey underscore Canuck. And follow Ken. What's your Twitter, Ken? At Ken Stapon. There it is, at Ken Stapon. Ken, once again, thanks so much for today. Yeah, thank you, Leaf fans. Have, enjoy the game tonight, and hopefully we'll be chatting on Sunday.
Let's do it. Uh, 8 p.m. puck drop tonight. Game four. Do or die for the Leafs. Um, let's hope for that win so that come next week we're we're chatting about the next opponent, not Alexi Lafreniere. Uh, all right, that's going to do it for us here today. Uh, if you want some more hockey talk, check out the Locked On NHL podcast where myself and four other Locked On hosts chat about what's going on around the entire league. Um, but until then, keep it locked right here on Locked On Leafs.